The right idea at the right time. The miracles of logistics every day. I just challenged all of their rules. Technology is revolutionizing this industry. Changed our lives. Close your eyes for a second. New York, Hong Kong, Paris. We're more connected. You just never know where the next innovation will come from. Rules are beginning to change. This is Longitudes Radio, a podcast with today's leading experts about the future of technology, global trade, sustainability, and logistics. I'm Brian Hughes. And I'm James Rowe. James, today we continue with part two of our interview with Tim Brown, the CEO and president of IDEO, and I'd say one of the world's great ambassadors for design thinking. Yeah, that was the subject last week, design thinking and really defining it and the creative process behind it and how it really applies to businesses of all sizes. Right. And last week, I think it was more about the philosophy itself uh, and how it can empower organizations. I'd say this week is more about actually how you build the environment to allow design thinking to flourish. You'll hear about in this episode, CoLab, which is a innovation incubator process that they put together that really assembles a variety of people from backgrounds that you wouldn't think were connected or part of the creative process, but it's effective. Yeah, it's a really cool project. And speaking of cool, we're joined once again by David Lee, our Vice President of Innovation and UPS Ventures. He does a really great job highlighting some of the most important nuggets in design thinking today. And just hearing, you know, your story and everything you've done in recent years, you've clearly worked across all industries with companies of many sizes and developed and developing nations. When you're assessing who you work with and what projects you're going to do, what is it you're looking for in partners? I, I would love to say we're super considered. We have this really complex, sophisticated method. <laughs> you just um, put the names we, in a hat, right? And, yeah. um, uh, you know, w- w- if it's a problem that excites us, I, I would say that we and ourselves have gone through it and are going through a transformation. Is that as we as we realize that, you know, we used to believe. I used to believe I could I could I could solve the world's problems with one project. Didn't know what the project was, but I was always looking for that project. It, yeah. But I could find it right. So I treated every project that way. And I think as an organization, we did like we were really focused on the projects. And you know, and, and as we've come to get more thoughtful and more excited about working on things at this sort of systemic level, things like circular economy or the future of mobility or healthcare, you know, it doesn't doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to realize no one project solves those problems. It's many projects with the right organizations. We've started to, to come to a view that actually building the right relationships with the right organizations that we want to collaborate with over the over a longer period of time is the way that we're going to make progress on those things. Yeah. So in order to get to the most important projects, we have to build relationships with the organizations that are able to help t- t- take us there. So we've we've shifted our stance quite a bit, and now we f- focus a lot more energy on who are the and it's even less who are the organizations, but who are the people within those organizations that we believe that we can work successfully with? And how can we do that? That's much more of our focus today. But even then, I have to say, I mean, we're always excited by a cool question. Is there a particular problem that you at a very human level wish you could solve? And is there an entity or person you wish would call you and say, will you work with us on this? I've had one question that I've always wanted to solve, and we've t- come close to it a couple of times. Um, I've always wanted to design a space station. 
Hmm. Um, okay, yeah. And, and the reason I've always wanted to design a space station is because, actually, just like my friend Ellen MacArthur, who founded the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who we do all of our circular economy work with, yeah. I mean, she's an amazing person, not least because she sailed around the world single-handedly as a young woman. I think amazing. she did it more than once. And her all her ideas about the circular economy came from the fact that she had to have everything she needed on that boat. On the boat, yeah. Right? And I've always thought of a space station the same way, right? You have to build an ecology, an ecosystem that is... It's essentially, other than sunlight, likely to have to be self-sufficient. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, that's always interested me. It's like, what would it take? How big would it have to be? How diverse would it have to be? What would it have to do in order to be a truly kind of self-sustaining ecosystem? And it's one of the reasons why I I'm, and, and many of my colleagues are so passionate about working in the circular economy because it's like it's that at a planetary scale. And yeah. so we're beginning to have organizations come and ask us those kinds of questions. And we're working hard to find the organizations who want to work on those kinds of questions because they are, I think, for, in many ways for a designer, the most kind of, it's almost the most complete design problem. Yeah. But there are lots of other things that I'm excited to work on too. Yeah. Well, well, I'm glad you brought up circular economy because I did want to interject real quick. And can you talk to us about CoLab? It seems that you guys are putting a lot of work into this space. What is it? What are some of the results you've seen so far? So we believe a couple of things. One, we believe that organizations are struggling to think far enough out into the future, that we've sort of, it used to be, I mean, you go back 30, 40 years and organizations had these big R&D labs and they did do a lot more downstream long-term thinking like AT&T or Apple or Xerox. Or the, but but very few few organizations are doing that today. So we believe there's a need to like push out. There's, we think there's like at a moment where so many important things are going to happen over the next 10 years and we need to be thinking, we need to be thinking about them from a human-centered perspective earlier, not waiting to the technology's already done and then figure out, okay, what are we going to do with it? But actually affect the way that that technology gets developed by thinking about them from, through a kind of design lens earlier. So that's one thing. The second thing uh, is that we think the kinds of challenges that are most interesting to work on today cut across the boundaries of traditional organizations. Not one company can solve them, um, not even sometimes just the business sector. Sometimes it takes governments and business to work together or academia and business to work together. And so we wanted to create an environment where we could work on essentially building prototypes of the future collaboratively across across organizations. And so that that's what CoLab's about. And we've set, the CoLab's kind of broken up into different pieces. Everything comes together at certain moments. But, and we have some of the, some of the work is focused very much on enabling technologies like AI and blockchain and things like that. What implications have they, are they going to have in the future? And so we're bringing organizations from many different industries, financial services, energy, the automotive sector, consumer services, to work together on building prototypes using these technologies of new kinds of products and services. We've also started to create collabs around what we call systems-level problems. And the first one of those that we're doing that is around the circular economy. And so far, we've launched two components to that. One is around um, textiles and fabrics, and the other is around food. But we imagine it extending beyond that. Uh, the circular economy, is, a, as I've said, is a, is a really important systems-level problem. It has to have multiple participants in thinking about what these new solutions are going to be because it, it, it has to follow the whole supply chain. Right? Sure. And today... The, the, the business world is, is tended to be horizontally chopped up in terms of the supply chain. You guys provide an incredibly important part of the supply chain. Uh, I think you should be involved in all these kinds of problems. I mean, I think I think you are instrumental in solving a lot of these, a lot of these problems, a lot of the capacity you have, and a lot of the technology you have. So I, I, I hope you're thinking about these things because I think I think there's a lot you can bring to the bring to the table. Yeah, I think one of the things that I find exciting about CoLab is that you know when you talk about 
great design and great solutions. The best teams, in my view, have a have these multidisciplinary skills. A bunch of people, different people, bringing different superpowers to the table. And what CodeLab allows is global scale superpowers coming together and creating things that didn't exist. Before. And the other cool thing, you know, so we've, we when we when we hold these, we we run design sprints essentially is the way of doing the work. And and the teams that run these design sprints are made up of fellows that come out of the member organizations, startup folks from startups. And then graduate students from some of the world's best design schools and engineering schools and business schools and our own designers. Incredible talent that's coming together. And they're able to move very, very quickly. So, I mean, you know, last year we built over 100 prototypes. Wow. um, Running a series, I think, three different sets of design sprints. And we have them all on a big database. They're all available to all of the members. So that's the other thing. I mean, it brings the risk of exploration down for each member considerably because, you know, there's no way one company is going to build 100 prototypes without spending a huge amount of money to do it. And so that's another thing we're excited about is it kind of increases the the kind of the the throughput when it comes to uh, experimentation. So I have a completely selfish question for you, but I had to ask it uh, in our limited time here. As someone who is paid to write speeches, I came across uh, something where you were talking about effective communication strategies. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was something to the effect of words alone usually aren't enough, that you can't just go into a room with brilliant oratory, as brilliant as you've been today and convince people of anything and that it requires a visually inclined message, multiple tools, so to speak. Can you speak to that and maybe pop my balloon a little bit about the brilliance of my own words and uh, what you were uh, going with there? I'm not sure I'm as convinced as that, of that as I used to be, to be honest with you. I think all media um, have ha- has its moments, right? Uh, I, um, I used to think, uh, as a naive designer many years ago, that all I need to do is walk into the room with my prototype and pull the black sheet away and and everything would be done. Voila. Right? Right. Yeah. Voila, exactly, isn't it? You know, and it turns out that didn't work very well, right? right? So then we had to build stories around it. I mean, we do use a lot of video today to tell stories about complex ideas. But at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I mean, more recently, I mean, today, for instance, I, I didn't show slides. Uh, they, 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 they can be distracting, right? And I, just real quick, I got to say, I love that. I think there's nothing that can be worse than just the busy PowerPoint to take all the ideas out of a talk. So yeah, continue. Yeah. But yeah. I, I applaud so, that. So I, I, you know, I, and 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 some of my favorite TED talks, for instance, have no slides associated with them at all, no visual material. So there's a moment for different. I, 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 you know, I think it's another design problem, right? Which is think about the media and think about if you want people's imagination to take off in a certain way, then you might you you might need to help them do that. Sometimes visual material really does help people's imagination. Or it helps them understand a complex abstract idea because you make it more concrete. And sometimes you know, people have to feel it. I mean, you, you talked about earlier like that, that the, the thing about a prototype is pe- people experience it. So then they feel the idea. Not They don't just see it or think it, they feel it. And that's very powerful when you're trying to convince something that something new is not as scary as they might have thought it was. And so uh, for me, I, I, I've just come more and more to the view is that uh, that you have to be thoughtful about about what, what, you, what you're trying to convince people of and what the best way to do that might be. Yeah, I think there's a there's a blurb in your book that talks about how when people excitedly attack you in the parking lot to share an idea, how much more you're you're likely to say yes than if they give you kind of a measured PowerPoint and they're showing their concern into it. I think what's fascinating is, is you know, maybe one day machines will make all the decisions, but for now, a lot of decisions are still held in the minds of humans. And when we show people how excited we are about things, that that excitement translates into 
acceptance, right, to things. So, you know, the the fact that storytelling, I think, is this core skill. I, I mean, you know, there are times, I mean, I have a habit of like floating up into sort of levels of abstraction, which maybe are not all that useful. But, um, but you know, I, I, I actually think, you know, if you go back to the fundamental qualities of us as a species, we're a social species, right? Mm. I mean, that's what made, that's arguably what's made humanity so successful, a bit too successful if you ask the rest of the planet, mm. probably. But it's because we are, we are so good at being social. We do things at scale that no other species ever managed to do. Storytelling has been a has been a fundamental part of that ability for as long as we've had language, and it all obviously started off as oral storytelling. But then, pretty early on, we start, we introduced visuals into that. And that's what those big cave paintings in Alaska yeah. and places like that are all about. Much more recently, we've discovered these new ways of telling stories using radio and then television and movies and and video. And now we've got virtual reality and augmented reality, so we've got these other ways of doing it. But I mean, I think if uh, of all the things that are deeply wired into humanity, storytelling is one of them. Yeah. Well, speaking of storytelling, easiest question of the day, what are you reading right now? Is, is, is there a book? Is there something you've come across that has really uh, moved you or caused you to think about the world in new and different ways? I mean, there have been many books that have done that. And I go through periods. I, I, I use reading for t- to inspire me. And then I always use reading just to like take my mind off the world, you know? So I'm probably in a bit of my summer, like I'm reading a bunch of like, Crummy spy novels at the moment, I think. But um, <laughs> you, you don't have to um, apologize. For but that, uh, but you know, I mean, I think back in you know uh, to the so the books that made early on in my career. Actually, there are two books that made f- huge difference to the way I thought of a designer. One was Design for the Real World, which is by a design academic by the name of Victor Papanek, and that's when I first realized that design could be applied to problems that really mattered. Right? I mean, he was talking about how we needed to design for people who are much less well off than we were. That got me interested in the idea of what was the social impact of design. And then the other one, which I read actually about the same time, was Frank Herbert's Dune. Hmm. And that was the first time I understood about the idea of thinking about an ecology as a thing, right? That, again, that we could imagine designing an ecology or designing for an ecology in a a way that I'd never thought of before. Hmm. And in a way that it just happened to my imagination took off around it because I've always been a fan of science fiction. But but Dune was one that had a big impact on me. So those two books together, actually, and which I read, you know, when I was probably, you know, I was probably about 20 when I read both of those books. Is there anything in particular that you hope is discovered or invented in your lifetime? The thing that I've always wanted to have are genuinely biological materials that we can design with mm. uh, that aren't, na- I mean, that aren't, that aren't already here because they're natural. So materials that can do two things. Firstly, materials that we can make through biological light processes so that they don't use up so much energy and d- create so much waste. But more importantly, materials that can sense the world that they're in and act based on what they sense. Hmm. I've always dreamed like organic of, tissue, but that design yeah, of organic always, tissue. I've always dreamed of having buildings that can sense and act based on levels of sunlight or levels of pollution or who's in them. Or I've always dreamed of having vehicles that can transform because hmm. the materials literally are transformable because they're biological, like muscles and things. Ah, yeah. So I've, I've always, I mean, I'm sure we will get to some of those things. Uh, maybe not in my lifetime. Hmm. So I think a good place to to close is you talked you've talked about how design is effectively shaping the world to meet our needs, right? If as you look to the future, what do you see as perhaps the greatest need for more effective design? Almost everywhere I look, what I would say the sort of the fundamental societal systems that we rely on are getting a little creaky and out of date. Uh, some of them dramatically so, and that if we don't if we don't redesign them 
uh, with all of the cleverness and ingenuity of both of both being uh, of, of technology and 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 design, then we're gonna we're 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 gonna have a hard time. Partly because of the of the scale of the human population, partly because of our expectations uh, as we slowly lift everybody out of out of poverty. But so whether it's healthcare, I think that you know the way industry works, the way our organisations work, uh, the way our education system works i mean our education system today is a bit like our manufacturing system it's linear and and it assumes that you know all the learning is supposed to happen between years five and mm-hmm. 25 whereas in fact we all know that we have to keep learning even harder when we get into work so why aren't we designing our education system to, to think that way do we really need to do 20 years of education before we start work and then stop most of our thinking about education. So anyway, I think all of all of the that's what excites me is that, is that working on those kinds of things, and and, and just occasionally you see you see uh, examples and uh, and the Innova school system that I mentioned this morning is is one of those examples where you think oh, we can have a solution that is different enough that it can be much more impactful and and, that, and that's a relatively i mean you know i mean I, i'm very proud of that work it's it's a step but it's certainly not it's not ultimately where we need to go with our education systems but it uses blended learning it uses technology it it, it, it teaches more kids with fewer teachers to a higher standard so it it's achieving some pretty important things but i think there's a lot a lot further we could go yeah. well tim thank you so much for your time this has been outstanding before you leave though don't forget to uh, sign david's book because I'm sure it would be heartbroken <laughs> if you didn't get your autograph before you left. It would be an honor. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. It's good to be here. Thanks, Thank you good. for spending your time with us. Appreciate it. If you like what you heard today, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or right on our website at longitudes.ups.com. And after you've signed up for the podcast, please drop us a review. We'd love to hear from you.